This podcast contains explicit content and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Don't say we didn't warn you. Hi, my name is Madison. And I'm Hannah. And you are listening to Who's Knocking? A true crime podcast. Here we are. We are back with part two of the unsolved murders of Barry and Honey Sherman. Yep. I'm uh, pretty excited about that. Oh, I didn't even think about what to talk about. Okay. Oh, I, I actually know what to talk about, I think. Yeah. Um, And I didn't really prepare any talking about this. But so, and this is somewhat old news, but I'm just going to talk about it anyway because it's super interesting to me. But there is possibly some new dna evidence in the john benet ramsey case i heard about that not new dna evidence but evidence that hasn't been tested yes i don't even know which part of it it is but i was reading a lot about it on reddit there's a lot of people who are really excited about this who think that this is gonna make the case or whatever or like that we'll find dna i mean yeah solve the case i do not believe that that will happen Based on my reading, I think this is trace DNA. Okay. Please, people of the audience, correct me if I'm wrong. But if this is trace DNA, it's essentially useless in my opinion. Yeah. Could be from anything. Yes. And I think I'd like to talk about trace DNA a little bit because it's it's something that I think really confuses a lot of people or just that they don't think about. And after that book that I read somewhere here. It's up there. It's called Junk Science and it's mm-hmm. by one of the guys in the Innocence Project and it talks about like I I have more than I think the average person but even more so after reading that book like I, and I think it's very important to be so skeptical of forensic evidence because yeah. so much of it is just not accurate or not is it's not as accurate as it's portrayed to be. And I think there's a lot of um people within those specific fields who have incentive to make you believe that it's more accurate or more of a science than it actually is right but trace dna for those of you who don't know is is different or it's it's different than just like a straight up like saliva or a hair or um even hair not so much but like saliva or semen or blood or whatever trace dna can end up on somebody like just by like barely touching them it is just because you find somebody's trace DNA on a person, it doesn't even mean that that person came into contact with the other yeah. person. I heard it could be like if somebody's wearing clothes and there's trace DNA on it, it could be from like the person at the store who folded it. Yes. Or like yeah. the factory who made it yeah. or whatever. And that was also another, um, there was, I remember there was DNA in her underwear and it was like, okay, we found DNA in her underwear. Was it trace DNA? Do you know? I don't remember if it was trace DNA at the time, but they were like, it very well could have been the person who made it at the factory. Like, so it leads me to believe like it wasn't like a full sample. It must right. have been trace DNA. But there's been a lot of people who've gone to prison. Like there's um, there's a case that I'm thinking about now that I, I still haven't decided whether I'm, I'm going to do it because it does seem very controversial. It got very political and I don't even – I'm not ready to – I haven't done enough research. What's the case? It's the Daniel Holtzclaw case, mm. which was – he was a police officer and he um, was arrested and, and 
put in prison for like raping a like a bunch of I remember women. this yeah um and it was he, like eight women mostly older right yes yeah and he mostly went away it was basically it appears to me through my research that i've done in the last couple little while i've like lightly researched this it appears that he was put away on trace dna Mm, interesting um and and um witness testimony like that's the confusing part is anyway it's i don't want to get into it here because it's a a lot to get into and whatever it's it's just an example of trace dna that people are contesting now and a lot of people are contesting this i'm not saying i know either way obviously but um, with this JonBenet Ramsey case, it does appear to me, based on my reading on Reddit, that it is trace DNA that they're looking to okay. so that's um, nothing. look into. So either they could find that it is of the parents or Burke or whatever. Right. And then they could just be like, well, obviously it could have been us because we were there. Yeah. Um, but which I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, because it's been untested. It's untested DNA. Or it's some anybody else, and their yeah. DNA could have gotten there for any reason. What's your uh, What's your take on the JonBenet Ramsey case? Do you have one? Not Not anything solid. Mm. I like I take in like everybody. I, I, I there's no theory to me that makes sense 100. percent I think yeah, I talked about it. In a, I agree with like that. there's certain things that make sense of like An maybe Bert did it, but or, yeah. it, the it the ransom note the ransom note doesn't make sense to. Kind of the ransom note makes sense if it was like it's a, a cover random. Up. No, if it was, it doesn't. I, to me, it doesn't make sense if it was Pat or, or or John. I think it makes more sense if it was them because it they was were like, not stupid people. They wouldn't have made such a shitty ransom note. Yeah, it was kind of shitty. That's true. The ransom note was so immaturely written. Yeah, it was. But they might have done that on purpose to be like <laughs> throw the trail off themselves. It's possible, but that's just like that's and they so knew the like exact meta, amount like, that he had been promoted because they were asking for the exact amount that the dad had which leads you to believe at least it was somebody like somebody who knew that information which i don't think it would have been that hard to get that information if you really especially if it was somebody who like worked at the house who had access to the home and whatever whatever um so crazy that case is like but also the way she was found it just does not make if it was an accident why do you then go and sexually assault your six-year-old daughter right because if it was an accident you're not i don't i don't believe i think people would suggest that like she already was being sexually assaulted yeah i just don't which we don't know if she was or she wasn't the thing with that is it's definitely possible absolutely possible but if if the dad was sexually assaulting her and it's impossible that he was sexually assaulting her and there's no past behavior yeah. There's no girlfriend that says, yeah, he was like, he was sexually assaulted. Like, there's nobody in his past that comes out and says, he was sexually assaulting my child. He was sexually assaulting me. Yeah. But you don't just start sexually assaulting your child out of nowhere. There's always a trail of past yeah. behavior, which maybe it didn't come out, but that just to me is so unlikely. Right. It doesn't. And that's the thing with the, the, the whole family being involved. It does not make sense to me that the family left her that way. Yeah. It's weird. It's just, why? It's super weird. But it's also weird that somebody else would. Well, if if it was a stranger, why? I mean, the whole thing is weird, but it could yeah. have been. And somebody, I think, presented a a theory that it was a young, like a maybe like a twenty year old guy who like went in and like got ended up getting spooked and like yeah. like started it and like meant to take the body but didn't. Or I don't remember the exact theory that they put forward but it did it seemed sloppy it seemed super immature it seemed not well thought out it just but again like that's 
also like so unlikely that something like that would happen although yeah. she was a child pageant girl and like you know that's just like putting yourself out there for like whatever so many creeps, creeps. To become obsessed yeah. with you like it's not btk existed btk would break into people's he would stalk people pick them break into their house and kill them yeah you know like that happens so i, I have no idea but that's i would love for this case to be solved I, and yeah, i think I that a lot of will. people feel that way and are like oh my god new dna like because i know that they want to test it through like the 23 and me answer like they want to find like familial DNA right. possibly but it's like if it's just trace dna it just, it's pretty it much meaningless nothing. God, I'd love to know. I'm sure everybody I would. I'm dying to yeah. know. Yeah. That's one of those. That's just like Yeah. So we'll see what happens. And John John Ramsey, yeah, that's his name. He's been like really pushing to try to get this DNA tested. He was at the last crime con talking about it. Oh, nice. Um so also, you know, He's a lot of people around, pointing right? out that this is like not guilty person behavior, but then a lot of people being like, well, maybe that's what he wants. You to I think. know. So it's just like, who fucking knows? Yeah. So that's what's what in true crime this week. Cool. Well, for the last few weeks, we'll see. Yeah. I saw that too, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like very out there. So we'll see. And now back to today's scheduled story. So... Today, we're going to part two of two of the... I can't swallow quietly. I don't know why. <laughs> what? I can't swallow quietly. <laughs> Every time I try, it's so loud. So sorry, audience. Enjoy that swallow sound. I don't know if I swallow quietly or loudly. You do. I wish I could do that. I swallow quietly? Yeah, I think so. Dope. Special skills. I'm very excited for today. Yeah, it's... Here's this the conclusion. Is, especially this, like, kind of gets into like theories there is no real conclusion because we don't know right still unsolved true um but i will go through all the likely characters the people that i think are likely suspects so generous recap wow thanks you're so welcome so last episode we talked about the crime scene we mm-hmm. talked about Barry and Honey Sherman being found dead in their basement pool room. Super creepy crime scene. Mm-hmm. They were posed. Excuse me. I swallow quietly, but I burp. We'll take After it. being strangled to death. Yep. With what? We don't know. Likely the belts, but again, we don't know. By whom? We don't know. Posed the same way as a statue that was in their house, mm-hmm. which was also creepy. The statue was creepy, I mean. Yeah. We talked about Barry and Honey's backstories their lives mm-hmm. um their humble beginnings the birth of apotex and i think it's apotex it might be Ap- apotex no it's uh i don't know I although think it right. ends apotex. with an x so yeah. i'm just gonna go with apotex um their children their private investigative team the first and second autopsies which basically came to similar conclusions except i think the second autopsy was more adamant that it was not a murder suicide yeah and i think it's very obvious that it was not a murder suicide but it took the police way too long to come to that conclusion they did eventually come to that conclusion but it took a ridiculous amount of yeah time. really weird um so let's bring back some characters from the beginning okay the winter boys are we just talking suspects today basically yeah that's because like they investigated they did their thing the police have still been very tight-lipped about everything right um and i'll get into it later but there's a lot of like you a lot of the documents have not been released and there's the journalist who wrote um the book i read i don't know where it is um his name is kevin donovan i think yeah maybe um but he's been 
actively like going to court to try to argue to release documentation or unredact yeah, we want to a know. lot of it. Um, and he's been su- partially successful, but not a hundred percent. Okay. So the winter boys, um, from the oldest to the youngest, we have Paul who was originally adopted by the winters. And remember the winters are, uh, Lou winter was Barry's uncle. It's his mother's brother. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he started the first generic drug company that Barry and, his friend eventually bought mm-hmm. um etc cetera, etc cetera. and then they the boys were all orphaned and sent to live with people in the community mm-hmm. um so we have paul he was originally adopted by the winters and then the three biological sons jeffrey carrie and dana okay now for many years after their parents lou and beverly's deaths they didn't have much to do with barry it wasn't until 1980 that they would get back in touch. And there was a mutual friend of Barry's and theirs um, that made Sherman aware of Dana Winter's apparent drug problems. Oh. And he he was heavily addicted to both cocaine and heroin. Wow, okay. So Barry reached out to see how he could help. Barry ended up hiring Dana to come work at the Apotex production plant. But it was only one month in when Barry learned that Dana had started selling drugs to his other employees. Like heroin drugs or I didn't specify which drugs. I would assume it's more like weed stuff. Like I don't think oh, people like who were okay. working at Apotex were heroin addicts. That's what I'm wondering. Is it the is he selling them pharmaceuticals? Because, you know, like Adderall, like, you know, that kind of thing. Or is it? I don't think pharmaceuticals. I think maybe like cocaine. Okay. I mean, it's 1980. Everyone's doing Cocaine well. is basically Adderall. Yeah. So it's whatever. But I don't, I, I don't think he was like, I, I have no idea. I just know that he was selling drugs. <laughs> okay. Very, uh, not very specific. Okay. Um, so Barry would give Dana other job opportunities at various other ventures, and he would go on to pay for multiple rehab stints and fund somewhere around $15 million worth of activities, investments in failed business ventures, houses, cottages, cars, etc. for all the winter boys. Seems super nice. Yeah, Barry, and I think he probably felt, like, pretty guilty and, like, wanted to, like, be there for these boys. He probably was like, oh, they're getting, having drug problems because they had, like, a rough childhood because their parents died, blah, 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 whatever. But also, I think anybody in Barry's life who, like, wanted to start a business or, like, showed any interest, he was like, yeah, like, this is great. I'll teach you how to be a businessman. I think with these guys, it seemed to fail. But... He was very generous. And I think some, some of the stuff was kind of like, I'll give you a loan, but then he would like not ask actually ask for the loan back or whatever like Mm -hmm. so it was like technically a gift but like with the idea that it was a loan but it wasn't really a loan it was a gift okay um so honey was always against barry funding the winter boys lives with no stipulations and she was of the same mind when it came to her own children too she did not she did not support barry just like handing out money willy-nilly but he was like i think that's how he showed love right and he's like fuck it i'm like basically swimming in money so essentially yeah so that's he just did i guess he just didn't care and i mean yeah like he has so much like so more than he can spend probably yeah oh for sure for sure and he he wasn't really interested in spending money he was interested in investing money and making money right but he didn't really he wasn't really interested in the finer things yeah um so um in my research 
and I, this is what I was just saying. I think I, I really get the idea that Barry showed his love to his family by buying them whatever they wanted. And he didn't seem to get close to people unless he was helping them with a business. Like okay. that was his whole thing. His whole life revolved around being successful and making money. Right. And it was like it was like it was the only language he knew. That makes sense. Which is kind of interesting. And like show like and that's I think you know for a lot of people like the recipe for being a successful person. Yeah. And also he's a man of that generation, so yeah. And I, like he he did seem like he was like very like a, a socially awkward child. Like he was. And it's like once he finally figured out what he was good at, it was like that's all he did. He was yeah. very like single-minded. Right. And it wasn't only Dana who had issues. Carrie, the second youngest, also had drug addiction problems. Okay. He and Dana both ended up getting kicked out of their adopted parents' homes and severing ties with them altogether. So they have the last name Winter and the other – the two other ones have the – I think the last name of the other of the adoptive parents was like Merkin or something. I think I oh. said it last time. I don't really remember. Um, yeah, uh, Barkin was it was. Um, and Carrie later claimed that Martin Barkin, their adoptive father, was physically and emotionally abusive to them. That's shitty. Although there's no proof of this, and Martin is no longer with us to defend himself, right. so there's there's nothing to substantiate these claims. Uh. Um, so there's that. Yeah. But Carrie has also been the most vocal of the boys since the Sherman's death, and we will get to him in a little bit. Interesting. Jeffrey, the second oldest, seemed to suffer from some pretty severe mental health issues. Carrie said that he had bipolar disorder. And mm. I, I don't know that this is true, but that's what Carrie says. And Jeffrey was not interested in speaking with anybody about the past, so he's not been... Um, interviewed there's nothing really public that he's said and paul seems to be the only one with no lasting issues or like evident trauma Mm -hmm. he went to culinary school in toronto and is now a chef and i find it so interesting because he was essentially adopted twice he was adopted by the winters and then adopted by the barkins and i see a lot and i know definitely not trying to knock on like adopted kids or whatever but like there's a lot of people who are adopted end up having some sort of trauma from it and you know having issues later in life uh either they feel like weird about it or who knows what happened to them before they were adopted that makes sense though totally makes sense but he's had like no he's just like the only one who's like totally fine i wonder what worked out for him i have no idea i kind of want to adopt kids one day so i'm like i should talk to him yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) how they do it right well he seems to be doing fine he's a chef that's good in the city are the rest of them like do you know what they're doing now or we'll we'll get into we'll get into it cool so in the early 90s, Dana hit rock bottom in terms of the drugs, and he seemed to kind of pull himself out of it. He attended rehab again on Barry's dime, and then he moved out west. And there, he met a woman named Julia Zwicker, and okay. they got married, and they had two kids. Hmm. But then things went downhill again. It seemed that Dana had gotten himself involved in some sort of probably drug-related homicide. Oh, shit. A man named Landis Heal had been found dead in the woods, single gunshot wound to the head. The man who killed him, his name was Tim McCreary, and he unknowingly implicated Dana to the, uh, in the murder to an undercover cop. Wow. And so Tim told him that Dana was the person who put a hit out on Landis. What the fuck? Dana was then arrested. And Uncle Barry came to the rescue. He paid $100,000 to post bail for Dana. And then he also hired him a criminal defense attorney. Wow. And then Dana died of a drug overdose only a few weeks later. That's really sad. Yes. 
so that just like you know went straight downhill ended very badly very tragic um carrie had similar experiences with barry he was provided a job at apotex mm-hmm. and he was like invited into the i'm inner surprised workings. he's giving these like really unqualified people jobs at his company well yeah and i think they're like very low level jobs to start right, with, right, but right. Like, like with the idea giving people that, like, coffee hey, or whatever you have an in with the boss here if you work hard and you want to Aww. he's like he invited him into like the inner workings of the company he was like he had every opportunity to rise to the occasion and like how's he gonna like he just doesn't have the and i think like this is what barry knows this is what yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah. this is what he has to offer and he's doing his best but it's to- like we could have seen this coming barry <laughs> like yeah this guy's got a really bad drug problem I well don't think and he's-, he's constantly trying to pay for rehab he's, right like he's I don't know what else. Like maybe he could no, have like sure. specifically tried to find like uh, like psychologist or whatever yeah. or counseling. Or I like, don't know. what do you like doing? What gives you a sense of purpose? But like, how would he know to do that? Exactly. This is what he's worth. He has yeah, money. Yeah. He knows he can that's pay cool. for you to go to rehab. Re- like, hey, that's nice. This is not a man also who's like any experience doing drugs himself. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he doesn't know anything about right. this. So fair enough. Um, yes. So. Barry took a real liking to Carrie, apparently. And okay. even though Carrie was usually on drugs when he showed up at Apotex, he was like, they were had a very friendly <laughs> just like relationship. like on drugs at work. Yeah, like just literally on heroin coming in and like. Okay. Barry was like nice to him. He still liked chatting with him. He thought he was funny. And That's nice. it was like, I it's like kind of a weird relationship, but you know, it's like he knows it's his family. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then eventually Barry gave him an ultimatum and he was like, hey, look, you have 90 days to get clean or I'm going to pay for you to go to rehab. Okay. And I think that Carrie had done less or no rehab and because because he had seen Dana do rehab so many times and it never worked. Yeah. And so he was really opposed to doing rehab. So Barry basically threatened him with rehab. Right. And he's and he like got himself clean in the 90 days, allegedly. Yeah. Um, and so Barry, Carrie, he spent time at Cocaine Anonymous and himself up cool and apparently barry attended the ceremony where carrie received his medallion for his 90 days of sobriety Mm -hmm. and like barry was so supportive he went there he stood up and he talked about how proud he was of his cousin that's nice like he was like really there for him like yeah financially emotionally like with every bit of support that he knew how to give that's cool um yeah so carrie is really the only one to speak out on the record these days okay and he's developed quite a hatred for barry no way and i'll tell you why yeah so back when jeffrey was studying law at queen's university in kingston ontario Mm -hmm. he was looking into his father's old company the company that was called empire laboratories okay he was aware that barry had taken it over and he ended up selling it and he was kind of looking into it to be like what do we have any like is there any like money that we can get out of this? Like mm-hmm. what, what, how did this end? What were the stipulations, et cetera, et cetera. So Jeffrey started looking for details of the deal from when Barry and Joel took over the company. And it was hard to find the actual documents and required him to find, to file a court order to get the actual papers. And even that did not have all the details. So Jeffrey started to suspect that the company was worth a lot more than Barry had purchased it for. Okay. Now, Jeffrey tracked down a guy named James Church who had worked for Lou um, and who had worked, um, who had continued to work at Empire Laboratories after Barry took over. Mm-hmm. And James signed and filed an affidavit with the court testifying that Empire was profitable and well-managed when Barry bought it, okay. which is contrary to Barry's version of events 
but kind of to me seems irrelevant at the time. I know based on the records that we have, we know that um, Barry and Joel took on, if we recall, $200,000 of debt when they took over the country, uh, over the company, which does not mean that it's not like in a bad order, but, um, and I'm not, I'm not very business literate, but I don't know if you can say that a company is profitable if it has $200,000 worth of debt. I have no idea. I probably could have asked somebody in my family, but I didn't. Um, but anyway, this is in in contest. So Royal Trust was the company that um, had, and I think it's Royal Trust became TD or something, or okay. like absorbed was absorbed by TD. Um, they also gave Jeffrey a hard time when he was asking for records of the deal, but eventually Jeffrey won that battle as well. So finally, Jeffrey got his hands on the document that stated. Quote, if the children of Lou and, Be- and Beverly Winter desired, they could be given jobs at Empire when they turned 21. And if they were interested, they could purchase 5% of the issued shares of Empire after two years of employment, end quote. The caveat being, and I don't see it written anywhere, but apparently this is the caveat, that Sherman and Ulster would still have to own the company. Which, by the time the Winter Boys were 21, they did not. Okay. Because they sold it. Now, Jeffrey Carey Paul and Julia Winter, Dana's widow, began a lengthy court battle attempting to sue Barry and Apotex for $1 billion. Wow. And also wonder where they learned about suing. True. Barry, Barry loved to sue. Yeah. Loved it. So their calculation was based on 20% of Barry's net worth, which they assumed was around $5 billion, though to this day Insane. people don't even know. Like, Some people measure it like closer to like 10 billion that's insane because it was i think it was on the will that they found out or it was like they the the calculation was based on how much apotex was worth right but he had so many investments in other things is was he like the richest person in canada he was in like the top 15 that's crazy but also and we'll find out later too like he that money is not all in like liquid money like a lot of it is in the company or right. in other investments. It's, the value of the it's not straight up cash, right? right. Um, which does make a difference. Um, so they claim that because it was the sale of Empire that allowed Sherman to found Apotex, which created his wealth, that they deserved 20% of it because four times 5% of the shares. Do you think that's right? No. Yeah, that doesn't seem... No. And also, guys, like he's been funding you guys forever. Like... And I'll leave it to people to decide what they think of that. But yeah, that that's exactly what you're thinking is my general reaction. And I think um, a lot of this was from the perspective of Carrie, who seems like he's, you know, not the most well together put person. Right. I'll he's say. not like conventionally successful necessarily. He he's conventionally a failure right so then say like maybe he's just like this is the only option i have i think and i think this happens with a lot of people i think that it's very tempting to to, it's very it's hard to see a document that shows that you could have had a a percentage and like it never at the time empire laboratories never had was never anywhere near what apotex was worth right right at the time they had gotten it to two million dollars a year in revenue which is not profit um so 
it's very tempting to like be you you can't just see somebody's success and be like well if i had had that like i would have made this hell no you wouldn't you have been given like 15 million dollars worth of stuff and you've made zero dollars from it yeah zero that's pretty crazy so did they win this lawsuit well i'll let you i'll tell you yeah i'll tell you what that work out so this process lasted from sometime in the 90s until 2020 Jesus it Christ. went for like 20 years. The Winters pretty much lost every fight and continued to good. appeal Sorry, and just good. like wouldn't let up. In 2017, the Ontario Superior Court Justice Kenneth Hood said that it was, quote, wishful thinking, end quote, that the Winters were owed any of Sherman's money. Yeah. And he made note that he had bankrolled these people <laughs> for years. It'd be one thing if it was like, hey, I'm rich and you guys get nothing. Like, he's been giving them so much money. No strings attached. Yeah. This is pretty crazy. Like, no offense, but these people are not looking good right now. No. And uh, the the last loss was in March of 2020 when the Supreme Court of Canada denied a leave application. And the uh, the leave application, I, th- I believe that it's basically, like, uh, an asking for an appeal. Um, and... All of that resulted from this multi-decade-long fight. And all that happened was that they now owe Barry's estate $300,000 in legal fees. <laughs> Fuck. And to this day, Barry's lawyers continue to argue that the actual figure should be closer to a million dollars. And, like, most people agree. Wow. And I guess they just don't have the funds to pay that. No, they don't have anything. And, and you know, if it's so crazy to me because if they had just, like, continued to, like, not do this yeah you just keep getting money he barry would have continued to just give the money wow and i'll also just say like this is i would really like to hear from the rest of them because paul is involved in this as well who seems like probably the most sane one of them um and like there's it's all four of them and like i'd like to hear from them like more about like why they thought they could. it would be interesting or like over the 20 years why they never stopped um, because it's, they kind of don't really get into it. And maybe we're wrong in our assessment of them. Like, it would be interesting to hear their perspective. Exactly. And I, so I'm, I'm just saying, like, that their perspective is largely left out. Right. But at the same time, like, I cannot figure out why they Where are they coming from with a this? a smart idea. Yeah. And then, so Carrie now speaks very poorly of Barry. Okay. And he describes him as, like, a liar and a cheat. He talks about Barry as a very selfish man. How- <laughs> Dude who never properly acknowledged his parents for getting Barry on track to his success. Carrie even goes as far to say that all the money that Barry had given him and his brothers over the years was actually to keep him from asking questions about the original Empire Labs agreement. Listen, $15 million? Like, I wouldn't be asking any questions. Nor would I. (laughs) Nor would I. And if we recall, Empire Labs, when they sold it, it was $2 million in revenue. Right. They have received... More than that. $15 million between the four of them. There's way more than the entire company was worth at the time. So it's like, dude, maybe you should have just shut your fucking mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, you fucked yourself. That's crazy. Um, So after they lost really badly this lawsuit, Carrie told a journalist at the Star, quote, I think more than money, what what would have made me happy would have been if he acknowledged my father and mother's contributions to his life and donated money to create the Lou and Beverly Winter Wing at some hospital, end quote. Stop it. It's like, okay. 
yeah that's really sincere i'm, I'm sure, sure that's what that would have made you super happy <laughs> yeah it's like you don't go through a 20 year long lawsuit because like all you cared about was him just acknowledge saying that them. and acknowledging yeah. it that's so interesting no and i think it's very 20 years is a long time i haven't done anything for 20 years like pursuing something for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, I know. Since I was nine, I don't, yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's just very, like, within human nature, like, when you, you know, if there's any, like, hope that you could reap a bunch of benefits without having to work, people get very, they start fighting over things. And they've they, been that way their whole lives, right? Like, they, like, they've, like, or not all of them, but the ones that struggled with the drug addiction, it's kind of like, they never had like I'm gonna work hard for years and succeed at something. Well, and two also like their their parents did well and they had they had a trust from the time that their parents died when they were very young. So they were given money from the very beginning. I think, and like they got to just like go to whatever universities they wanted right. and drop out and like I don't I don't get and I don't want to judge people because I don't know exactly how things were and like their parents did die like you know and. There was alleged that there was abuse in the home. So I'm not saying that they had like no problems in their lives or anything. But in terms of money, I can't imagine that they ever had to like figure out how to actually work for money. Yeah. And then like later in life, they and get they back see in this touch. guy who just has like seemingly endless amounts of money. Exactly. They later in life get back in touch with him. Right. With Barry. And then he's just doling out money. And it's like, well, no wonder you you you've never really had to like understand even like what money is or how yeah. to make it like so fair enough i mean that did not serve you well so there you go no i don't think it i think it rarely does yeah and so then later in interviews too and carrie's been interviewed extensively there's a fifth column that's what it's called for the state episode um where he's largely interviewed and we'll get into that i like the fifth estate Fifth Estate. I just think that the narrator of the Fifth Estate. Sorry if you're listening. Has is just really, really weirdly. He talks really weird, but I kind of like. I like it. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, he talks now after the fact. Talks about how inappropriate Barry was. How he's constantly cursing and asking Carrie what it was like to be a drug addict and like how it felt to be on cocaine and like he like how's that inappropriate? He makes but he makes him sound like he's like was like super creepy and like really like into the drugs or like he he puts like really negative spin on it. Yeah. When I think I think he's kind of just saying that to like I think he's trying to like demonize Barry. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound that creepy. Oh, he swore. Like I know. And he's, how old were you? He's always like. Barry was like, yeah, I'm like, fucking this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, maybe, maybe he was an A, who cares? But B, nobody else describes him like that. Right. It's like, it's just very contradictory to the way that everybody else in his life describes yeah. him. So whatever. Um, and then, most interestingly, he also claims that Barry had issues with Honey. Yeah. Carrie alleges that Barry wanted to divorce Honey but that he didn't want her to take half of his money. And so on two occasions, he alleges that Barry asked Carrie to kill Honey for him. No And way. also says that he was, like, down to do it. I'm sure he was. <laughs> In an interview with CBC's Fifth Estate, Carrie even said that he once told a psychiatrist that he'd fantasized about decapitating Barry and wanting to see his head roll down the parking lot at Apotex. I mean, I had opportunity, I had motive. I can see why the police might say, this guy's also a fucking nut. 
and he confessed to us he had indeed fantasized about killing Barry Sherman. Like I would talk about killing Barry, and it was very graphic. The way I was going to do it wouldn't have been belts. It was going to be in the Apotex parking lot. That was my vision, always, that he'd come out of the building in Apotex and I'd be hiding behind a car, and I'd just decapitate him. I wanted to roll his head down the parking lot, and I'd just sit there waiting for the police. Interesting. And mind you all say, like, Carrie has some mental health issues. He has yeah. some drug addiction issues. Like, he seems like he just, like, candidly says shit. So, like, I'm not saying that that's what he did. But, like, right. he just, like, on TV he said that. So. Not a good look. It's not like, we, I'm not, like, pulling murdered. this out of a diary. Like, he said it on TV. Yeah. Um, On the Fifth Estate, Carrie Winter also agreed to participate in a lie detector test. Okay. He was asked questions. He was asked a number of questions, but there's they only show one, and it was, "Did Barry Sherman ask you to kill his wife twice?" And he said yes. And then, not surprisingly, he failed the whole test. Mm. And um, then he went on to change his claims, and he now said that, "Oh, Barry only asked me to do that one time." Oh, stop it! And uh, Carrie alleged that there was also an entire murder plot that Barry had set up and then at the last minute it was called off and after failing the lie detector test and being questioned about it he was forced to admit that it wasn't really true okay and like even when asked he's like did you like make it up and he's like I don't yeah I I don't know why I thought that Uh," like and it was like super awkward and it's just like very clear that and again they only really showed the one question but made it seem like there was a lot of questions so you know how they edited their thing Obviously, it was very, um, it was, it made Carrie look really bad. I don't know how much of, like, to right. be very fair and courteous, I don't know how much of it um, was edited to look that way. And okay. maybe some of the stuff was truthful, but it really did not make him look very good. And it made him look like a liar. And at least we know in some stuff to do with his allegations against Barry, at least part of it was not true. So right. we know for a fact that he lies and lies on television and like you, that's all that's what i'll say right and i'll put some stuff in in as well and there was a time in his office that he turned to me and he said carrie i want you to do me a favor and i said what's that barry he said i want you to whack my wife and i said come on barry you want me to kill your wife he goes i didn't say you you know some people could you arrange that for me and i said you're serious you're asking me to arrange whacking your wife And he said, yeah, I hate her. And I said, Barry, I'll go ahead and do that. And I did. I planned it and I set it up. Yep, sure, I'll tell you right away in a few minutes. Well, I hope it's good. Yeah. (laughs) But for Carrie Winter, it's not good news. See, result, significant reactions. Is that good? Uh, No, it's no good. And and the thing is, what that means is there's something that you're hiding in. So I failed. Yeah, you failed, yeah, you failed. And that's when Carrie's story begins to unravel. First, his memory of the alleged murder plot starts to change. Did he and Barry Sherman really talk about killing Honey more than once, as Carrie had claimed? Was it possible that he didn't ask you a second time? Yeah. Is that possible? Very. But I still believe it. I don't know why in my head I believe he asked me twice. Was it possible he didn't ask you a second time? Yeah. What percentage do you feel that he only asked you once? What would be the percentage? Pretty high. Like how? Close to 100? Yeah. 
Um, and then Carrie also refused to answer the question, uh, the, like to answer, he refused to answer the question, did you kill Barry Honey Sherman? Yeah. I mean, probably nothing good could come of that. But. No. And and fair enough. I, I've i said before, lie detector tests, yeah. I don't really believe in them. Right. I would not take one, even if I thought I was innocent. So right. I'll say that. So Barry and Honey Sherman were last seen alive on Wednesday, December 13th at uh, 2017 at one of the Apotex locations. There were okay. multiple. Honey left in her car at about 6 p.m. and Barry followed at about 8.45 p.m. Mm. And the two were found on December 15th in the morning and had been presumed dead for at least 36 hours, if not more. Mm. Carrie also had no alibi for the night of the 13th or 14th. Mm. He says he went to his Cocaine Anonymous meeting. So on the 13th, he came home. He watched Netflix and ate Doritos and then went to sleep. And, like, that's how he spent both nights, by himself at home. And he even admits that at work during the day, he could have left for multiple hours without anybody tracking his whereabouts. <laughs> He's, like, openly admits that. Fair. Um, but Carrie and his brother and his brothers are not the only suspects. Right. In fact, Carrie has been interviewed by the police and by the Sherman Children's private investigators on multiple occasions. We don't have transcripts to, the, to these interviews, but we know that they didn't lead to an arrest. Okay. So I don't think that they're like off the radar, but I don't They don't think have anything on them. They don't, yeah. Okay. They have what what I told you. I don't necessarily think that Carrie did it, um, but I'll tell you my theory after. Or like I, my potential He's theories. somebody that I would be heavily looking into yeah. if I was an investigator. Absolutely. But then we'll get to some other people that I think we should okay. also be looking into. So as I mentioned before, Barry was extremely litigious. Mm-hmm. He... um. Which did not earn him very many friends. Right. Um, it's. I heard, and tell me if you know about this, but I heard that when they got the house, because they got their house built, I heard he like sued everybody involved in the construction. Oh, do you mean the the house that they were found in? Yeah. That's, I, I, I haven't heard that, but it doesn't I don't know surprise me at all. Um, my parents are getting their kitchen redone right now, and it's just shit show after shit show. I like mm, so you're saying that in some cases suing is appropriate oh yeah Chris and his parents had something done in their house and they ended up suing the contractor because wow. he just like I forget what he did he but and it was did, like completely shitty. absolutely a reasonable wow thing. okay oh for sure um but who, who knows I don't know what happened in the situation right um he also seemed like he liked suing people yeah it's hard to know um but I'm saying this is somewhat cons- conspiratorial but um you know, he he was up against people from – he was up against Big Pharma. Right. And he created a lot of enemies in the drug world. He was not shy. Sorry? They're kind of scary. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just it's just a it's, – it's mostly just a money thing. There's right. a lot of money, right? Yeah. Anything with a lot of money, like anything could happen. Totally. Um, and he was not shy about his opinions. And it, he, he talked a lot about um, like how – Big Pharma was uh, had like really high prices and generic drugs were good for people because it made prices lower or whatever. So he's like, you know, kind of claimed to be like the Robin Hood mm-hmm. of the drug world, right? Okay. Um, and he loved suing people and being in court or whatever, and that did not earn him many friends. I can't imagine that it did. He also went up against other generic companies. And it's debatable whether or not this was a good thing or a bad thing for Canadian citizens, both the generic drugs, because it makes things cheaper, but also okay. struggles innovation. But also, like, every time you're in court, you're costing the taxpayer, too, just saying. Right. 
Um, but to his competitors, like clearly he was an enemy. Yeah. It's been alleged from some people and on like the fifth estate, this is not just like Reddit information. This is stuff that people said on a pretty reputable um, show. Um, it's been alleged that some people from quote big pharma had hired private investigators to look into barry and he had even talked about how, like seeing them on um on the apotex property like writing down Ooh. stuff that he was doing and whatever looking into him um and allegedly there were plans to sabotage him either by yeah wow either by planting child pornography on him that's or, so shitty or large quantities of cocaine okay and so i don't know how substantiated these are but there are like big theories that are put out there and if you're gonna do shit like that like is it such a far stretch to put a hit out on somebody right i don't think so and then there are also the four sherman children okay the sole heirs to barry and honey's fortune mm -hmm. the sherman's will specified that the four children would split the entire estate evenly it would be held in a trust until the children reached age 25 when they re would receive one quarter of their inheritance then one third upon reaching age 30 um and the will then says that they will receive the full portion at age 35 as an annual income for the maintenance, education, achievement in life, and the benefit of the specified beneficiary. Okay. Do we know how much they were going to get? Um, so it was the entirety of – it, it made it seem like it was about like between four and five billion. That's insane. So basically a billion each, more than a billion each. Wow. Now, until this time, until that time, the estate would be managed by four trustees who would delegate the funds to the under 35 Shermans at their discretion. Okay. And I think the people, there was four trustees. I think one of them was one of the sons, or the only son, Jonathan. One of them was the husband of one of the daughters. And then, oh, I forgot the other two, but they were like employees of Apotex. Um, it's not, it's kind of important. Anyway. Now, I don't know if any of the evidence directly points at any of the children. I don't think it really... Well, we'll get into it. But what we do know is that everybody close to the investigation just kept saying to follow the money. This was a... I think it's been made clear, at least from a lot of people close to the investigation, that the motive in this, um, in this murder was money-related. I think that's fair to assume. Yeah, and it... it um, and also that the attack was personal. Interesting. Now, the four children are, without a doubt, the people who benefited most financially from the deaths of Barry and Honey. Definitely. So that's that's all I'm saying. If we're looking at motive, Pretty crazy that if, is, like, one of your kids kills you, though. It's crazy, but it's happened a lot. It's happened many, times. It does many happen times. a lot. You're right. Um, so... It happens all the time for way less. <laughs> way less. Yeah. Way less. At the time of their deaths, um, there was Lauren, who was 43, Jonathan, 34, Alexandra, 32, and Kaylin, 27. Okay. Both Barry and Honey did not have the strongest relationships with their children. Right. All four of them seemed to get along better with Barry, and it wasn't surprising since he just gave them whatever they wanted. Yeah, I'd and, get along with him too. Yeah, and Honey did not support that. Right. It seemed apparent that Barry was never really home with the kids when they were growing up and spent pretty much every minute of his day working. He attended very few extracurriculars and family activities. And even when he did, he would spend most of his time working. Mm. 
Ani was described by her children as very controlling and domineering over their lives. Mm, not a good, not a good descriptor. One thing is for sure, those kids... That's, uh, that's not a good descriptor for someone who is not going to murder, murder their mom. Yeah, and I think like... Like every mom that's been murdered by their kid was described that way. And I mean, she was not like one of those like... No, no. Parents that, you know, makes their kids get A pluses, whatever, whatever. I just think that she... Um, I think she had kind of a controlling personality naturally. Yeah, whatever. And then also, like, she she lost every battle with Barry about right um, spoiling them. And like, if I, if it were me, I think that's a terrible way to put to like teach your children how to live. To just like, it 100% give them is, and it probably builds so much resentment. Well, and also it's like they're not going to be successful. They're no. not going to know anything. Well, about clearly, it. and yeah, I mean, that's, exactly. That's evident. Um. So. Wait, I mean, I guess I don't know the kids, but the... Just, like, how reasonable a claim it is that she was, like, domineering and overbearing. Right. I don't know how reasonable of a claim that is. There's no... Did they give any examples of that? No, not really. And I don't... And, like, mostly it was from the perspective of this journalist who looked into it. It was not, like, straight out of their mouths, Right. right? So, take that how you will, right? Okay. Um, but one thing is for sure... These children were provided every material good they you could imagine. Yeah. So like, and I mean, like the parents are gonna die at some point, and you're gonna get the money anyway, right? Yeah, for sure. It's not like you're hurting for but money But also, now. and like, it's one thing to say that they 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 benefited most financially, right? But also, when the parents were alive, it's not like they were not like they were given whatever they wanted, right? So you could say that, but you could also say the reverse, right? Yeah. Now, years after their deaths, the siblings appear to be fighting amongst each other. Jonathan, the only son, has since fired Barry's long-term partner at Apotex, John Kay, who was a longtime family friend. And the sisters all say that they disagree with this decision. They're not happy that Jonathan did that. Alexandra claimed that Jonathan and Jack Kay had been fighting in the weeks leading up to the Sherman's murders. She also says that since their deaths, Jonathan has made comments alleging that Jack could have had a part in their murders, which Alexandra says is ridiculous. It's also been noted that Alexandra actually thought at least at one time that Jonathan may have had something to do with it. Wow. Jonathan is clearly trying to take over the business himself, and he's also offered to help his sisters manage their fourths of the estate, noting his business experience. Thanks for your help, man. However, everything Jonathan has ever done business-wise was either A, funded by his father, and or B, not successful. Mm. He has been successful in some things, but like heavily funded by his dad so would they have survived without that i think likely no okay um and the sisters have so far rejected his offer it's also been made public that in the two weeks leading up to barry's death he had come to jonathan asking for 50 million dollars wow okay a return for loans that he had given to him to purchase multiple storage facilities for his storage business Barry had paid for all the properties and was now asking Jonathan to take out mortgages on those properties and pay him $50 million. What does he need the $50 million for? So in the summer of 2017, mm-hmm. Barry lost a drug patent case and he was going to have to pay out $580 million Jesus Christ. to a rival company in January 2018. Okay. He didn't have a lot of cash on hand and so he needed some cash, right? He had... All these things worth a lot of money, but he didn't have liquid cash, especially knowing that he would have to dole out $580 million. So he just went to Jonathan and was like, hey, look, I loaned you all this money to buy these properties. 
take out mortgages. I'll help you, whatever. But I just need liquid cash right now. Not crazy. And it's his son, right? So. And it's his money. Yeah. Just saying. Jonathan now claims to have had no problem with this and knew that there was always times when his father would have cash on hand for investing and times when funds were not available. And he says that they talked about it maturely and all was good between them. Okay. Barry had provided Jonathan and his business partner, Paulin, about $200 million over the years, both in interest-free loans that they never really had to pay back, that's apparently. That's fucking sick. Like, that's and, really generous. And just straight-up gifts. And this was money to fund businesses, but it was also to buy houses and cottages and just live that's a just rich so nice. life. A trail of emails over the last few years before Barry's death show that Jonathan was questioning a lot of Barry's business decisions. He was also trying very hard to prove to his father what a competent businessman he was. Um, and he even went as far as to try to get his sisters to team up with him and try to remove Barry as head of Apotex, claiming that he was making decisions which were putting their inheritance at risk. Bro. <laughs> Nobody joined him, and Barry found the whole thing amusing when he found out. But it kind of makes you wonder. Yeah. Done it? Yeah. And then there's this other interesting character named Frank D'Angelo. Frank was a kind of -of jack-of-all-trades serial entrepreneur who Barry had taken under his wing. He was an apple juice producer, a hockey player. He ran a brewery for a little bit. He acted in and produced movies, and most of his ventures were funded by Barry. Okay. A lot of people in Barry's life. How come Barry was funding him? That's very, remains largely unknown because a lot of people in Barry's life couldn't quite understand why Barry was interested in D'Angelo. A lot of his businesses failed and he seemed to make a lot of silly mistakes and a lot of the time kind of at Barry's expense Hmm. because Barry was funding him. But Barry said that D'Angelo was an idea person, a hard worker, and a good hustler. And Barry seemed to like people with lots of ideas, but couldn't didn't quite know how to execute them. And he would like to like help them. Like that's right. what he liked to do. And D'Angelo was a really fun guy, and they seemed to be super tight. Now, my theory with why he was he really liked D'Angelo, I think that Barry saw him mostly as a really fun person okay. who like kind of had an in with like. And Barry didn't have a lot of fun in his life. Exactly. Right. And I think a lot That's of... That's value. I think a lot of people who are, like, super wealthy are, like... Man, he has endless money. Losing exactly. money is nothing to him. He could... He, he needs fun. I think he just liked D'Angelo. Yeah. He, like, that enjoyed hanging out with him. I'll buy that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that to me, seems like the most likely explanation for that. Now, one person That's who really did not Wait, like... Wait, so then why, why are you bringing him up? Well... Okay. One person who really did not like D'Angelo was Jonathan Sherman. Does Jonathan like anybody? Jonathan seems like quite the dick. <laughs> but again, I have not heard from him, so I he's don't so entitled. Him. He yes, he sounds very entitled. In the 2015 email exchange, Jonathan is quoted as saying, "Quote: In the past, I have been accused of petulance for asking tough questions, and there has been much frustration for both of us. Years ago, I didn't, I did stop asking about Frank because of the strain it caused in our relationship, and I left it alone. I am only asking again now because for the past couple of years, cash is tight. I've been turning down great investment opportunities, and Frank continues to burn cash at the same rate." End quote. So. First of all, a lot of Jonathan's emails are like so. Who's he emailing, by the way? Barry. Oh, got his it. dad. They're so formal, and they're so like, I am using big words to prove that I am a smart, mm. competent person. As you remember, I went to business school and I learned how to do spreadsheets. Like it's just, it's like, 
it's kind of sad to me it's just like really trying to prove yourself to your dad and like barry's like pretty dismissive of him that's true he's yeah. constantly but mostly because like just like you're trying to like stage a coup on your yeah. own dad like i would yeah. do too it, i think it goes both ways because on the one hand like no matter how much money your parents give you if they are dismissive of you like that can cut so so deep and it seems like barry wasn't necessarily the most like socially and emotionally skilled person so i have no doubt that and honey too maybe like i have no doubt they had a lot of failures as parents as most parents do but i'm sure they did a lot of shitty things despite how generous barry was with his money but then it's also like jonathan like what makes you think you're entitled to his company like that's just not how it works too well and it's not even like it's not even yeah sorry i thought you meant like to like hang out with him but yeah no no, no, yeah yeah no like you should be like no, no i feel no. entitled to like hang of out course, with my parents course, but yes. yeah his company his money like yeah. he's trying to be like you shouldn't be investing in this you should be investing in me and like why are you making these investment decisions no. and it's like dude he can make whatever investment decisions he yeah. wants it's his money I'm yeah saying. you're his child like so yeah and and it's like and he kept trying to like push himself in there and be like i want to me and paul and want to be part of the succession of abitex and it's like okay and then you're trying to like get people together and try to like take over the company like he, he just seems very manipulative and very entitled and very spoiled yeah that's the vibe i'm getting to so i'm just saying that shout out Jonathan. it also seems like the rest of the sherman children were not huge fans of d'angelo oh interesting and in the weeks following the murder considered d'angelo a possible suspect or felt that d'angelo could have uh gone the shermans into some sort of business deal that led to their murders okay and i don't know how like who knows i think they you know jonathan clearly did not like him i don't know why the sisters didn't like him maybe jonathan convinced them not to like him maybe they saw him wasting the dad's money i think maybe he was like a douchey annoying guy it's possible he seems like a funny guy but i yeah he definitely like he was into like hockey dad doesn't usually make people have the greatest personalities i'm just saying (laughs) um (laughs) so random hockey people are annoying hockey guys oh, i don't know anything like i've never they're i don't know we're in canada i don't know i'm just saying they're just like really like broy douchey guys yeah. yeah sorry not sorry um d'angelo was asked since d'angelo was really close with barry and barry yep. really liked him right and d'angelo was asked not to attend the sherman's funerals um by the sherman children through john k can they just do that though they can ask him. They can't. I don't know if they can bar him from attending. Why? Did they give a reason? They didn't like him. Hey, we don't like you, so we can't come to my dad's funeral, even though he liked you. Yeah. Okay. Remember these, and I, again, I don't know them, but it sounds like they were put down a road that would lead them to be very spoiled. Yeah, that makes sense. It's hard not to be spoiled, you know? Like, and and the parents should take the blame for this partially, too. Or, or maybe if you're just doling out millions of dollars, yeah, there's no yeah. wonder kids are spoiled. Yeah. No wonder. No, it's true. Like, it's kind of like... Although it did seem like there was one one of the daughters, I think it was Alexandra, seemed, like, much more down-to-earth than the rest of them. And, like, she was, like, a nurse. And, like, she'd only gotten one home for... Like, they'd only paid for one home for her. And <laughs> a very reasonable one. She was, like, really trying to get the dad, Barry, to um, put... Um, money for charity in his will and like she was really interested in charity whatever whatever but the other three seemed a little bit more and they were probably raised to be that way unintentionally but yeah and i'm sorry i'm trying to be careful saying all this stuff because like these people are still alive and they're out there and whatever like i don't want to get sued or anything but 
you know, make draw your own conclusions, folks. Now, let's see. Frank D'Angelo had a decent alibi for the general time of the murder, but big chunks of time are corroborated only by his wife. Okay. I will say that since the deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman, D'Angelo has essentially been cut off from all Sherman money, so I don't really see a strong motive for him to be the murderer. Right. The Toronto police continue to investigate the murders to this day. And in Do they now? <laughs> yes. And in December of 2021, the police held a press conference where they showed a video footage of a possible suspect who they say was captured on video in the specific area and time of the murders. At the outside of, the inv- of this investigation, we seized a very large amount of security video footage. Some of these videos were from locations in the area of Old Colony Road. Numerous individuals were found on the video in the neighborhood. We've also obtained judicial authorizations to collect data from nearby cell phone towers and cross-reference that with the physical locations of individuals on the videos. We've also conducted numerous canvases of the neighborhood to identify individuals on the videos. We have been able to eliminate the vast majority of people captured on the video. We are left with one individual whom we have been unable to identify. Through our investigation, we have been unable to determine what this individual's purpose was in the neighborhood. The timing of this individual's appearance is in line with when we believe the murders took place. Based on this evidence, we're classifying this individual as a suspect. Though there is a lack of detail in features of this individual, we believe that further information from the public could assist us in making an identification. I would ask that you pay particular attention to the gait or the stride or walk style that this person uh, has on the video. We are not able to provide you with any certainty the person's age, weight, or skin color. However, through photogametry performed, we have been able to determine that the suspect in this video is standing between five foot six and three quarters and not five foot nine and a half inches. I don't know if this was like the couple's footage from across the yeah, street. I, was or I think they found a number of pieces of footage of this guy and just picked the best one to okay. to show. Who's this guy? Um, nobody knows. He's oh. completely unidentifiable. It's not. It's it's just like a guy walking by. It's like, how do you know? You cannot tell what color he is. You cannot tell. How what do you he's know wearing. he's suspicious? You, then they just they they know that he was in the area at the general time of when they think the murders were. They don't know who he is. There's no explanation of who or why he is there. So like, thanks for your help, all, Toronto Police. Yeah. So it's it's very vague. Okay. And I like I don't know how anyone would even identify this person. Got but it. that's like their big thing that they put out. Okay. Um, they've been very tight-lipped about everything, and there's been a lot of back and forth, as I said before, between the court and journalists and the police. Kevin Donovan, who's the writer of the book, has been representing the star and attempting to unseal various documents, including the Sherman's will, which yes. I do believe was um, given out, unsealed, right. unsealed. Um, and to this day, the murders of Barry and Honey Sherman remain unsolved, and the Sherman family drama continues. Hopefully one day soon there will be an update and we can finally put this case to rest. But as of right now, it's still unsolved. Wow. 
So I know you were doing a little bit of reading on Reddit. Is yes. there any, is there any theories that I didn't mention? Okay, so the main thing that I was reading is that everyone basically assumes that it was like a professional hitman that did the job. And they're basically like, whoever did it, basically like for sure had left the country by the time the bodies were found. Like the hit person. The hit person. So they're assuming that it wasn't like any of these, like these people you mentioned are the same people that were mentioned as suspects um, on the internet. But nobody thinks like Carrie went and did this. No, like, no, Like they no. think it was a professional yes. hitman. So it would have been ha- like, I assume it would have had to have been somebody that had access to a lot of money, right? Because that probably cost a lot of money to do. Um, a lot of people do say like the pharmaceutical companies that didn't like him because the thing is like for Carrie and any of those people to do this they're not going to get any money then so don't they stand to lose by having Barry and Honey out of the way yes the right. only people who don't have who who gain money are the are children their kids, yeah though I don't know who was aware of what was in the will right at the time but even that like the only kid that kind of seems sketchy is maybe Jonathan. Yes, but it's like, but you still have access to money while he's still alive. Yes. So agreed. it's kind of like. Yeah, that's why I think. Like, I feel like it's so risky when you already have the money. Although yes. with a professional hitman, it's like, it's, you know, it can't be traced back to you. I and it's it's hard to judge too because I think. Yeah, I agree. Or hit woman. I think Jonathan's the most um, suspicious. allegedly suspicious of the children. Um, and I, the thing is with people like he was getting all this money from Barry, but it didn't seem like he was really in control of a lot of it. And especially with this whole thing where and Barry's being, asking for it back and yeah. it's like, he's like, oh, well, that's honestly such a shitty feeling. Like when somebody gives you something and then asks for it back. It's true. But I like, think- I get why in this spe- specific situation, like I understand why and and Barry's motivations for it but it's like as the person who kind of feels entitled to it it's like wow fuck you now you want it back exactly so I think to if if I were to um make a case for him being guilty it's that he wanted money with no strings attached he didn't want to be held um basically under Barry's foot and he felt like he didn't have control over poor you all your 50 million dollars especially it's like you you adapt to your own reality no it's true like to you if you're getting 200 million barry raised him to be that way like exactly that's nothing to you it's so tricky though like i will just say though because it's like what does barry do like give them a tight allowance when they know how much money he has like i feel like it's a it's a interesting thing to navigate like i had a roommate in college who university who her dad was super rich and he like wouldn't give the kids any money he was super super stingy with them and but then at the same time he would buy like his new wife like all these like product coats and fancy shit and my roommate was so fucked up with money like she was really like overly stingy she'd always be expecting like me to pay for everything and like give me all like give her all the stuff and like use my stuff and I feel like it gave her such a complex to know like her dad had all this money but wasn't giving it to them although I assume it's probably for them in his will but it's like I feel like it is a tricky thing to navigate yeah it's that's the thing like when you're super super wealthy and you have kids um I feel like it's hard to raise those kids I don't have that problem but um, yeah (laughs) yeah it's like you hear about all these like really wealthy people like um what's his name Bill Gates and yeah you know some of these other people who are like I don't give my kids money and I I think that's the right instinct to just not give your kids 
anything they want and spoil them but you can't just do that and then like not you know teach them how to make their own money right like in you know um i think putting a giving them like setting a culture of like entrepreneurship or something like and being like look present me with an idea present me with a business idea i'll help you with it i'll like invest in it if it's a good idea and yeah. like we'll see how this goes and if you lose money then this will be a consequence like i don't yeah and that's you know no, that's smart. that sounds smart no experience on the matter but um it, it just it must be very very difficult yeah. as a very wealthy person to not raise a spoiled child yeah or a super resentful child if you don't give them the money. Yeah. And I think it's hard to raise children to begin with. Right. But then you throw that in the mix and it's like, and like, is this the worst problem to have? I don't know. Probably not. No, but it's it's interesting how like people can be very wealthy. It's obviously not a world that we are closely related to. But I have one family member who happened to make a bunch of money. Same thing, entrepreneurship and, you know, sold one business, bought another business and all this. And like he himself is not really a happy person and he doesn't have like a lot of good relationships in his life and he like internally struggles a lot and it's it is an interesting obviously everybody says money doesn't buy you happiness but and that's such a cliche to say that but it is interesting to see this person who has like an incredible custom home that he built himself like amazing vacation home everything that he could want and he's like unhappy still with that yeah money doesn't buy you happiness buys you peace of mind in terms of like keeping the bill collectors right. away from you but it's uh it does add complications yeah it's interesting for sure um and i think there's also it's interesting too with like generations of wealth and like yeah. the the first person to actually create the wealth. i think there's some sort of saying called like shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve or something. i don't remember what actually is but it's like the first generation makes the money the second generation like spends it all and the third generation is like completely loses it all that's so interesting yeah right? because like the third generation is so removed from like the hardworking yeah um person who created all the wealth yeah. and you know how do you you don't you're not you don't have those values no yeah that's interesting yeah i don't know who did it i don't have like a especially sorry from these families like both barry and honey came from like immigrant families right escaping the holocaust yep. in one case or like you know he barry's father died when he was young and he like really created this for himself yep. he really from the ground up just created all this wealth and then it's just all his kids just get it yeah so it's like such like complete opposite family cultures right yeah it is really interesting i don't know i don't have like a gut feeling on who it could be i think it's i think it is very possible that it could have been somebody from like a pharmaceutical company or something like this i think that's very possible because it's like who like they don't care what happens with his money when he's dead like they're just like we just want to get you out of the way whereas the the other kids like Carrie and Dana like all them like they are not going to get anything from this so I just don't see like I think they would stand to gain more from Barry and Honey still being alive so even though Carrie said he wants his head rolling down a hill like that's pretty fucked up but I I just like like logically if he had well, any yeah, type of sense at all like thinking means motive and opportunity and he had seemed to have the opportunity he seemed to like have motive depending on how you think about it i don't but, think so really though well it depends because i agree with you in that and i think that like it's it's it very well could be just like a, such a red herring that he's coming out and he's looking so guilty but i think also he's like a, a weird guy my he's gut tells me like drug addiction yeah. he i think in a weird way likes the attention like Probably. there's part of him that just like likes being on tv yeah and, like it's trying desperately to cling to something 
And it just doesn't know. make sense. Like, it just doesn't make sense that he'd gain anything from this. I, I, I agree with you. I, I do agree with you. This seems yeah. way more professional. And, like, he does he does not give off professional vibes. Right. So, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I do. But still, this doesn't leave us knowing anything. No, I know. But I did find it. And I will say, I did find it really interesting to read about very specifically and like how he how he created this company for himself and how and and i think to he which to your point um to like get him out of the way like because without him i think a lot of people could reasonably conclude that abatex would die okay. because he was such like he it was him that created it from the ground up it was him in there day after day like he was literally creating yeah. drugs and like like sorting things out and he was so he had so much control over every aspect of the business like it's it's reasonable to assume that the company would not survive without him that makes sense to me and i feel like he um he was threatening to other drug businesses yes literally yes on many levels with yeah. his business with his suing with his like proclamations of how he was like helping people with what he was doing i think that like those companies they like even five billion dollars is like laughable to them like you know what i mean they have oh, yeah. so much money especially to gain and because lose. i don't know i don't know if i mentioned this but it's a lot of the american drug companies right. are coming after him because he's going under like he's coming in and like there's been different laws yeah i heard he was like smuggling place. drugs from like south africa or something like drug companies i don't even know about that know. but but like he was really threatening specifically to like all of North America, but American companies. Yeah, because he those were the the ones he was undercutting to sell to the Canadian market right. through generic drugs. So I think there's something to be said for that, for sure. Yeah, and I yeah, I, and I do I do find I it think like, it's obvious that it was a professional, like no yes. DNA on the crime scene. Yes, yes, no. I don't think any of the people like I don't think it was like literally Jonathan. Yeah, like, yeah. Literally Carrie or whatever, if anything, or li- like whoever. an employee of a pharmaceutical company. Like, yeah. no, it was a, definitely a hired job. Yeah. For sure. So, um, yeah, that's that's basically that. So interesting. If anyone has any other theories, I'd love to hear. Yeah, let us know what you think. I'm pretty terrified that I'm gonna get like, um, I guess we'd have to have more viewers, but um, you know, all these people are alive and we're like kind of accusing them. So, allegedly, don't you know? We're just chatting here. Sorry. Yeah, we don't know. I think it was the pharmaceutical company. So. Yeah. I'm not blaming any of you. And potentially they could be the scariest, but yeah, also they don't scary. care about two random girls on the internet. So yeah, um, reach out. We are at his knocking podcast on Instagram, at his knocking pod on Twitter. Send us an email, preferably a nice one. Hello at who's knocking podcast.com. And that's all she wrote. Stay safe out there because you never know who's knocking. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lost Line Media. Artwork by August Digital. Music by Matthew Cook.